This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, guys, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast. I am joined by a, a new friend of mine, Mr. Robbie Kroger. Robbie, how are you, man? Oh, better than I deserve, Dylan. Thank you for the invite. Man, I love that answer because we are absolutely all better than we deserve. And uh, that's that's my go-to when somebody asks me how I am. <laughs> but, uh, and, and you know, you know not, to, not, to, not to automatically get off topic, but I'm going to. It's my pet peeve when I see somebody in Walmart and I say, how are you or how you doing? And they say, well, you know, not great. Um, you know, this and that happened, this and that happened, so-and-so sick and can't afford this this month and blah, blah. And I'm like, really? You couldn't have just thought of one good thing to say to me? You you, you couldn't have said, man, you know, at least I'm breathing. I mean, you couldn't have said, you couldn't have thought of anything good to say. Um, and it's just kind of my pet peeve, you know, I'm like, why, why'd you have to bring me down just cause you're in a bad mood, you know? Well, I will say this, um, there's something to be said about honesty though. If somebody's being honest and they're having a bad day, Hey, have you ever had anybody be, it sounds like you've had a couple of people be pretty honest with you, which is like, yeah. you know, somebody, I, I always laugh when like you get to the checkout counter and they said, did you find everything? Okay. Like, what do you say to that person? Do you say, you know, you you typically say yes, obviously, right? But what if you said, <laughs> no, I, I struggle to find X, Y, Z. Like, what would they do? Right. Would they pull out a notepad and start taking notes and, <laughs> and document that? That's about honesty, right? And I think some people just, you know, there's some respect and some etiquette, I guess, to certain questions that we ask in society. You know, those two being some of the ones that are more prevalent, on a daily basis that we, that we come across. Yeah. Well, and you, you know, it, and, and again, I, I could chase rabbits and, and talk off topic all day long, but, but being a, a pastor, you know, that's what I do for a living, Robbie. Mm -hmm. Um, people automatically want to tell you about their life, which, which we want to hear. And I'm not saying that, but also as a Christian, I should be able to find something good about my life. And just like you said, man, I am way beyond blessed further than I ever could have imagined deserving. Um, so, so even when somebody asks me like, yeah, man, th things are rough right now. It's rough for everybody, but, uh, there's still a lot of good things in my life. So I want to share that with you. And I want to show you, I want to share joy and speak joy into you. Not just bring you down, uh, just cause I'm having a rough day. You know what I mean? No, hundred percent. So I appreciate your answer. I say all that to say I appreciate your answer because we are absolutely all better better off than we deserve, man. Yep, yep, yep. I like to say, I see. I'm from a, I'm from Arkansas, and uh, so they they got those little redneck sayings everywhere. And so I always like to tell people to say, "How are you?" I say, "Man, I'm finer than frog hair split two ways," and they're like, "What?" And I'm like, well, "Have you ever seen frog hair?" I'm like, "Have you ever seen frog hair?" And they're like, "No." I'm like, "That's because it's pretty fine." I'm like, split that, and that's how good I'm doing. <laughs> Jeepers, creepers. That is interesting. I've never no, heard man. that. And I've been in the South for, well, 
16 years, and that's the first time I've heard that. <laughs> well, uh, man, give us a quick... Uh, we got way off track, way too quick. But uh, give me a quick introduction to yourself, man. Um, if you're not familiar with Robbie Kroger, um, he is Blood Origins. And if you don't know who Blood Origins is, you've basically been living under a rock. Um, <laughs> which... I, I'm I'm really excited, man, to talk with you about Blood Origins and 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 how it came about and what it means and what it stands for and what it does, uh, because it's absolutely um, one of the one of the greatest. Well, I don't want to get into it too quick, but give us a quick introduction to yourself, um, kind of how you got started, kind of kind of how you got to where you're at. What is Blood Origins? How it came about? I know this is. This is an hour long intro that you're going to have to give here, but, <laughs> but it, just give us a quick introduction to yourself, man. Yeah, I appreciate that, Dylan. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter who I am, who Robbie Kroger is. Um, just know that I came to this country in 2003 to do a PhD and uh, quickly understood the liberties and the privilege that the Americans have when it comes to hunting. I have a family that's steeped in hunting heritage, but I never got to hunt in South Africa. I'm from South Africa originally. Um, never got the opportunity. And it's just because I, was, I lived in a really big city. Um, the opportunities that my dad and my grandfather used to have were gone either by the case of war or poverty or nutrition and just almost raping of the landscape in terms of there was no wildlife left. And so... This idea of hunting came to me, you know, by via of redneck friend in Mississippi that allowed me to explore what hunting was. And I just got deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And when I started exploring what hunting meant to me, or not really what it meant to me, I was trying to figure out what hunting was more at a different level, I guess, than what outdoor television was providing me at the time. I couldn't really find what I was looking for. I couldn't find people speaking from their heart about what hunting meant to them. It was if it, if somebody was speaking from their heart, it almost felt canned. It felt scripted. There was no authenticity to it. And so with no cinematography background, with no camera background, I guess, um I'm a scientist by training. I just had a vision of what I wanted. I wanted I wanted a project at the time. It's now a 501c3 organization, but a project at the time that could create a platform that could show the 99% of what hunting is. Uh, the industry is focused on 1% of what hunting is, which I believe is the kill, and they've forgotten about the 99%. And so we decided to focus on it. It's not sexy. It's not sexy to the hunting community. But the project wasn't built for the hunting community. Blood Origins was built for the non-hunting audience. And so that's what we've done. That's what we set out to do. We told a bunch of people's stories. We told a bunch of truth around hunting. We tried to convey the proof of what hunting does for wildlife and for what it does for communities. And just this week... I believe that we have made it, Dylan. And the reason I say that is this. <clears throat> I'm not interested in engagement. I'm not interested in followers. I'm not interested in likes. I'm just interested in our voice being amplified and our voice reaching people. Well, Blood Origins was named specifically in a trophy hunting tabloid piece in the British tabloids two days ago. And that I is like, awesome, man. I was like, wow. I can't believe our little voice has reached the well, ears and the pens of the British tabloids. But we did. Not in a good way. Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but we still made it. Hey, listen, man. I remember, I remember the first hateful comment I got on my social media. And uh, I told my wife, I'm like, babe, I'm big enough to have haters. <laughs> Yep, exactly. <laughs> and it made me so happy that somebody wanted to speak out against me and say, how dare you kill these animals? And and it, it made me happy because for that moment, I had that individual's attention. And, uh, and I said, well, just shoot me a message, and I'd love to tell you how I could. 
And uh, so they messaged me, and and uh, of course it started off really angry, and uh, they started off really mad, and just you know wanting to cuss at me and and tell me I was this, that, and the other. Uh, and then I just said, slow down, you know, slow down. And I started off by saying, first off, let me tell you who I am. My name's Dylan Ray. Uh, I'm a youth pastor here in Wellington, Kansas. I'm a father of three beautiful children. Uh, I've got a wife. I function in society just like you. I'm not some murderer. I'm not some, you know, walk around and look for stuff to kill constantly. And, uh, and, and they were like, oh, it's almost as if they viewed me as something completely different as themselves. Uh, you know, they, they didn't, they it was almost as though there was a complete disconnect of, Oh, I brush shoulders with you in Walmart. Like you're, you're a normal person. My kids play on the same sports teams as yours. Like you're not some, you know, mountain man, murderous, like looking for blood all the time kind of guy. Like, and I'm like, no, I mean, (laughs) you know, And, and so the conversation really flourished. And for that moment, I had that person's ear and, and, and I could just talk to him uh, about why I hunt. You know, it's not it's not some murderous sport. You know, I I personally take my kids out into the field with me when I harvest a deer so I can show them and tell them, hey, that steak we're going to eat tomorrow night, right here it is. Um, you know, daddy, I know he's been gone for the last few days hunting, but but here's why. And this is, you know, so we can feed our family. And in the midst of a pandemic, uh, when you know, there for a while, meat was touch and go at the store. Um, we don't have to worry about that kids because we have this here to feed us. And, uh, and so for, it was, it was, it was an awesome thing to have that person's ear for that moment and to really be able to speak into them why I really do hunt. You know, it's not, like you said, it's not the number of, of clicks on a video. It's not the number of likes and it's not the number of followers. I'm a hunter for far more reasons than that. And if, and if you look at my Instagram, you'll be able to tell I'm a hunter. You know what I mean? That's just all it comes down to. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it, and it, that's just the way I live my life. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to live my life in the way where, where, where people are like, Oh, you're a hunter. I just, I love hunting. And so it comes up in conversation. You'll see it on my t-shirts. You'll see it about the way I live, you know? It was it was it was really cool to have that person say congratulations, man, on on reaching that. That is that is incredible. <laughs> and you said you said something. You said it's not sexy to, uh, but it is sexy. The 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 cinematography of it and the production of it is beautiful. I'm telling you, that. man, you guys do it. You guys do it well. Um, there's not there's not many things worse than watching a, a poorly uh, produced video, and you guys do it phenomenally. So. Uh, kudos to you guys, man, uh, on the production side of things, because it is sexy. Well, I think that's one of the things we set out right from the get go is I, I found the best cameraman that I could afford and told them that I had this specific vision of what I wanted it to look like. And I wanted it to look like something that wasn't in the hunting industry. It wasn't in the hunting space. And Dylan, I don't know if you recognize the elements within it, but knowing that you're a youth pastor, you probably know the project um and i may not i may not give it away i might ask the question of you what does our project look and feel like to you what kind what what kind of project it's a christian project i built blood origins off of a christian documentary project really yes sir the way that it feels the way that it looks the way that it comes across through the through the medium that you're watching it on your ipad or your computer or your phone it all came from a Christian testimonial project. You know, now that you told me that, I can 100% see that. Do you know which one it is? There's only one that does it as good as we do it. And they've had famous people on there. They've had people that you don't really know who they are. I am second. I am second. I nailed yep. it. Yep, that's it. See, I, I, I've always thought that there was like a... a um recognizable feel and now i know why yep uh you know because i've watched those and showed those to youth groups and 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 so now i know why i've always kind of felt like i've almost as though i've seen this before you know what i mean yeah no i am second was definitely our inspiration um josh hamilton's story i think i've watched josh hamilton's story like 30 40 times so awesome man um so tell me tell me about um Tell me about your introductory uh, to hunting. Uh, before we get into really blood origins and breaking that down, um, what? 
tell me about your start in hunting. I mean, what, how did that kind of come about? You know, I came to the States in 2003, didn't really know what hunting was, but lived in Mississippi. And so lots of opportunities for hunting to hunt. I got, uh, I befriended a guy that was a really big hunter and he started talking about hunting to me and I said, okay, well, I'm interested. And he says, well, you need to get your safety, hunter safety first. So I went and did that. And then once I got my hunter safety, he was like, okay, here's a gun. Here's a lawn chair. Go sit under the cedar tree. And um, if something walks by, shoot it. <laughs> and that was my introduction <laughs> to whitetail deer hunting in Mississippi. And uh, yeah, I went through the typical you know, process. Did you shoot something? So that first hunt, it's a really funny story. That first hunt, I didn't see anything sitting in the lawn chair. It was a morning hunt. And so, and the the weapon that I had was a a semi-automatic 308. I'd never shot a semi-automatic weapon. I was always a, a, you know, bolt action kind of guy. And so he told me when I got in the stand, just ease the action forward. Don't slam it forward. It's going to make a lot of noise. I was like, all right, so eased it forward. Uh, didn't see anything. So I walked out around the backside of the property. And as I'm walking out, it's probably 9, 15 in the morning. Not 40 yards from me, as I come up onto this road, 40 yards from me, a buck steps out onto the road. And the buck is actually a buck that my friend killed like a year later. And it's a very, very nice buck. For the Mississippi, you know, Pinewood Flats, he probably was a hundred and you know, 115, 120-inch deer. It was beautiful deer. And I was like, oh, there's a buck. And he was in the middle of the road, didn't know I was there, had stopped. I raised the gun, took the safety off, pulled the trigger, and the trigger went click. And it was so, I was so close to the buck, he heard the click. Picked his head up, saw me. He's like, oh, I'm getting out of here, and got out of there. And I was pissed. I was like, I can't believe what just happened. <laughs> And so I went to my friend. I said, your gun is broken. Like this thing doesn't fire. He says, what are you talking about? And so he took the same bullet. He put it back in the magazine. He racked it forward, shot at the target that we had been target shooting earlier that day. And it went off. The gun went off and the ammo, the ammo that the bullet that I had in the gun went off. And I said, I don't know what happened. And he said, well, what did you do? And I said, well, I eased it forward just like you told me to. And I guess in easing it forward, I'd left like the minutest hair of a millimeter between the firing pin and the bullet. And it never went off. Oh, so that's was my it a introduction. Nice buck? Oh yeah. But let's just think about it. Let's talk about divine intervention for a second. What if I had killed that, that nice buck on the first day I had ever hunted? Yeah. What would my mentality be like? This is and easy. So, yeah, it was easy. This is not, this is hunting. Okay, cool. This sounds great. It it actually took me, so I started hunting, I think 2000 and gosh, I think it was 2006, 2007 when I first started hunting. It was only 2016 or 2017 was the first time I ever killed a buck. So 10 years went by really? before I killed a buck. What about doe? Oh, plenty of does. Every year. Because that's what we, we, we would eat a lot of dough. Like my, that's what I pretty much feed my family with is, is whitetail deer meat every year. Now, yeah, I, uh, you know, I had a friend one time and, uh, and, and it was his second year hunting. And the first year he shot a little fork and horn. And uh, he's actually been on the show before. Um, and so if you want to listen to that, you can go back a few episodes and find it. But um, he, the first year hunting, he shot a fork and horn. The second year hunting, he shot a 241-inch whitetail what? Uh, here in the great state of Kansas. And, uh, and you know, Behind I told him. And, and or I, low no, 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 not at all. I, I can take you right to the spot where it was killed at here wow, in town. Wow, that's crazy. Um, and and I, and I told him and I told my friends uh, and family, I'm like, man, I really hope, I hope that doesn't ruin him for hunting uh, because I, I certainly don't want him to think that's the norm uh, because he'll never see another deal like that again, mm -hmm. um, much less harvest it if he does see one. Um, so just, I, 
but yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of times when somebody sees, uh, goes hunting for the first time, uh, sees and harvest a buck, they, they have a, a screwed mentality of, of, of what's going to happen for the rest of their hunting career. Um, and, and it can oftentimes ruin them. Um, you know, one time I was watching meat eater and, uh, and he said that he took somebody hunting and they harvested a buck and, and went on about, the, no, it was a, uh, a, a caribou maybe, I don't remember. And, and he said that he's like, it was just a bit too easy. You know, mm. uh, where's the work for it? Where's the laying in your tent at night thinking this is never going to happen. You know, um, he said it was just a bit too easy. Um, but you're right, man. It, it would have, um, messed up your mentality. I don't want to say messed up because, you know, sometimes it does happen like that, but, uh, it would have, um, definitely given you a wrong perspective of what hunting is. No, I totally agree. You know, things happen for a reason. And, you know, I've had a number of, I've had a number of like misses like that. I don't consider myself there. Are, you know, there are people that I know that I consider very lucky hunters, right? We all know them. The guy that just seems to get it all together. He may be a really good hunter, but I also think that there's a lot of luck on his side. Uh, I happen to be one of those hunters that there is no luck on my side. If something's going to go wrong, if a bullet's not going to misfire or a muzzleloader is going to misfire um, or, you know, whatever. Like even my first Barbary sheep hunt out, out west, I drew a public land tag. I, I paid for a guide. I drove all the way out there. I must have spent, who knows, $6,000, $8,000 in total. I don't know. Uh, we filmed the entire thing. It was a phenomenal story. But uh, uh, we found a ram, and we took us a couple of hours to get on him. And when we got on him, he got shot out from underneath us by another set of public land hunters. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that film is called Full Circle, and you can go check it out on our YouTube channel. It's a great story. Don't get me wrong. Like, you couldn't have scripted a better ending to a story that was talking about, like, why someone goes out and hunts, okay? But that's what I'm talking about. Like the, the luck of the hunting gods is certainly hasn't been in my favor um, many occasions. I can tell. <laughs> I can tell. That's rough, man. All oh, you got to wow. do is tell me that story and I know all I need to know. That's right, man. That's right. So what is what is Blood Origins up to right now? Like what can we expect to see coming out, you know, next? What, what's up next for Blood Origins? Man, everything. We are we're certainly putting our foot to the gas pedal uh big time leading into twenty twenty one. So if you've started if you've been following Blood Origins for quite some time or if you haven't been following it at all, well, if you haven't been following it at all, you won't notice the change. <laughs> but if you've been following <laughs> Blood Origins for quite some time, you've started seeing us change and us morph. And so what we're starting to do is is try to be very aware of current event hunting related topics around the world that we can put information into hunters brains and hunters thoughts and hunters rhetoric around the world from new zealand the tar situation to last week we dropped an australian one around the victorian government and the animal welfare act uh, this sunday we're dropping one about the namibian elephants there are 170 elephants up for auction up for tender in namibia um, they cannot be hunted, so they have to be purchased and moved. Um, so we're doing a lot of that. We're starting uh, today. We actually started a podcast. Uh, we dropped our podcast today for the first time, and that's going to nice. be tradition. It's going to be very much like our Instagram feed, very non-traditional, uh, hard-hitting conversations, conversations with anti-hunters, conversations with non-hunters, current event discussions around wolves, around giraffe conservation, about captive bred lions, all the things that you would expect, all the topics you would expect us to tackle. Um, short, sharp, punchy content so that you can binge it. We are also uh, getting into more of the proof around hunting. So showcasing the, the, the yeoman's effort of hunters around the world to what they're doing for wildlife conservation for economic development for people and those are short videos that that happen on a wednesday um 
So, yeah, and we're just going to stick with our traditional Blood Origins episodes, our stories that get dropped, you know, every two to three weeks of a different person around the world, from around the world, who we filmed and we've gotten their thoughts to why they hunt. So that's that's really right. what's happening right now. Uh, 2021, big conservation projects we want to implement. Um, we want to move some some animals. Love to get involved in this elephant project in Namibia. It's it's a really the tendering process of the elephants itself is going to be it's not going to be much money to buy 30 elephants um it's the translocation the movement of 30 elephants and the logistics of moving 30 elephants which skyrockets the number um we've done a run of the nap, run of the the back of the envelope napkin estimate and we're thinking it's either 300,000 or 500,000 dollars it's a big number Wow. Um, so yeah, we, we, we're just you know we're just slowly but surely, as I say to my as I say to my my very 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 small team that I have with me, you know we just push the stone, Dylan. Every day we push the stone, and we just push the stone a little further up the up the hill, a little further up the hill. We do one podcast here. We do one podcast here. We release this piece of content. We talk to this person. We just push that stone. And that's what we're interested in, just pushing the stone so that we can change the perception around hunting, really, in the non-hunting majority space. That's what Blood Origins is focused on. Uh, we are f- we're hyper-focused on the, the non-hunting majority and showing them that their perceptions on, on hunting is, is, not, is not reality. I'll give you a perfect example of this. The next episode that we're going to drop in our podcast is I had a conversation with a 19-year-old African woman out of Kenya, and she's an anti-hunter. And she thought the notion of hunting is questionable. So I said to her, okay, well, let's, let's chat. Then you ask me any question you possibly could want around hunting, and I'll answer it. Here are two things that are going to blow your mind about her perspective on hunting. Number one, she felt like Americans are coming to Africa to hunt elephants because then they turn around and sell the ivory for fifty to $70,000. God, I, w- I would head to Africa right now. Well, it's illegal. <laughs> that's the problem that is insane it's illegal and it's like how you know it, the fact that she didn't know that it was illegal is is very interesting you know so that's one that's one number two here's the other one she says that american hunters come to africa to hunt because there's nothing left to hunt in america because we've wiped it all out. <laughs> that's what we have. Oh, that's what we're man. facing, my friend. That is what we're facing. So let me ask you what 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 you said when she talked about the ivory, um, because even if it was legal, um, even if it was was legal, I'm sure that that it would stay there. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? It, it it wouldn't. It depends, right? If it was legal, it wouldn't stay there. It would be able to be exported, um, which is just a fascinating discussion to itself. To the idea of do do trade bans actually work? Do trade right. bans actually help the animal itself? Um. So yeah, no, it's a very very. Um, you know, it's it's when to answer your question. What did I say? I didn't laugh at her, which I think the majority of our responses would have been that. My my response was very measured, just like your response when the guy attacked you and you said, "Hey, why don't you DM me and let's talk?" I think what we as hunters and our hunting community has for so long gotten into the the position of is our backs are against the wall and when someone attacks us we lash out and we fight back versus 
having some measured rhetoric um, that really is a little empathetic, that really is a little sympathetic, that really just, you know, speaks in a very, you know, even keel tone to try and understand where they're coming from. And we've had many, many times, like you just said, people calling us MFs and whatnots. You're just, you know, a bunch of killers and we'll give them two or three chances. But more often than not, at the end of the end of the exchange, we get a lot of, oh, I never, I never realized it. Oh, I never, I didn't see it that way. Oh, I understand. And all it required was a little bit of effort and taking almost a different approach to that individual versus just, you know, coming down the pipeline and attacking them outright, like they're attacking us, right? It's almost the classic Christian um, philosophy. You know, they slap your cheek. What do you do? You just turn the other cheek and offer the other cheek, right? Absolutely, man. And that's, you know, I have oftentimes, um, I've oftentimes made that connection as as though me talking with a a a, a non hunter is almost like talking with an atheist, um, and, and not that. Uh, please don't. I'm not saying that if you don't hunt, you're an atheist. That's not <laughs> what I said. Um, but it's almost the same mentality of they come into a conversation with a complete different idea of who I really am. Um, you know, oh, wait, you mean you're not some Bible-thumping redneck that's going to shove your God down my throat? No, not at all. Um, you mean you're not, you, you don't judge me for who I am? You don't hate me for what I do? No, not at all. And uh, and then once you have the conversation, it's more of the, oh, I had no idea. Um, and so the conversation is almost the, you know, the same tone the same uh it starts off the same way and ends the same way of you know we might not end up thinking the same way but at least now we have a better understanding of each other and you don't think i'm out to get you you don't think i'm some horrible person you don't you know what i mean Mm -hmm. absolutely so have you had have you had anybody uh, in which you've had a conversation about hunting who was a non-hunter and and they completely opened up and became a hunter? Oh, uh, not not with me. Okay. Oh, actually, no. I'll I'll take that back. With me, yes. And it happened in my family. If you had asked me, you know, give us one individual in your family that you feel will never become a hunter this individual reached out to me and said, I want to become a hunter. And the reason was, really, that's cool. the reason was, is that his wife had a major cancer uh, scare. She went through some, some very heavy chemo. She's through the woods now, but in that process, he was looking to get her the healthiest meat food she could possibly get. And he recognized that if he could get a pig or if he could get a goat or if he could get a deer, that's the most healthiest meat he could provide his wife. So that's number one. That's the, I think the only situation where I've had a non-hunter and through me became a hunter. Um, but I've got obviously lots of examples through the Blood Origins Project. We've we take it upon ourselves to record and film non-hunter perspectives that have become hunters. We've got um, a big episode dropping here in the next two weeks that is an African-American out of Nashville who decided he wanted to become a hunter. And he reached out to us and said, I'm a non-hunter, but I want to become a hunter. And I said, no problems. We'll, we'll make that happen and we'll film it and we'll get your why of why you decided to become why he decided to move from being a non-hunter to being a hunter. And it's incredible. It's incredibly powerful. And I can't wait for everyone to see it because it, it's, 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 I keep saying this, you know, it's probably the most powerful piece we've done thus far, but we've done a lot of really, really powerful pieces. But this is the stacks right up there. So what's the, what's the most, um, what's the word I want to look, use here? What's the most, um, intense reason maybe that's not the right word intense reason uh you've heard of somebody not being a hunter the intense reason for someone not being a hunter 
if that may or extreme reason maybe that's maybe that's oh, i would say the most extreme to... reason would be being a vegan um yeah for not being a hunter they just value life they value animal rights and the life of any animal um and i can applaud that lifestyle i don't have any problem with the lifestyle um especially when they're they're full into it right um they don't feed their pets if they have pets they don't feed their pets any animal products they are they're 100 into it um i think that would be the biggest reason why you know to your to your question that is that's the biggest reason you know and, and i absolutely agree with you um if somebody is completely on board with uh being a vegan then then cool by all means do it um but it, I I almost cannot stand uh, having conversations with people who say, how could you kill a deer? It's so beautiful and blah, 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 blah. But then they buy meat from a grocery store exactly. or they drive through McDonald's or they drive to McDonald's and get a hamburger. And I'm just thinking, why were you so angry at me for harvesting an animal? Yeah, that's the most if, hypocritical if argument right there. But if you're if you're a vegan and you're 100 percent into it, like you you won't get a single argument out of me. Like kudos to you, if that's the way you ch you choose to live. I don't, I don't care. Uh, exactly. I mean, I'm gonna eat a fat steak, but but I'm not mad at you for the way you live. But I'm certainly not going to to tell you one thing and then completely contradict it by by what I'm eating or the way I live or you know. I mean, it's just it. That's what really bugs me is when somebody is when somebody, you know, points their finger in my face, but, but they don't mind at all rolling into Texas roadhouse and ordering a ribeye. Um, <laughs> that, Absolutely. That, that gets me. No, you got it. Man. That Absolutely. So what do you say to those people? The ultra vegan is difficult to speak with because they don't have an open mind and you can almost understand oh, no. why they don't have an open mind. Go ahead. Sorry. Right. And, and I'm not even talking about the open vegan because, again, like like we both said, you know, uh, if if you are fully on board with with being a vegan and you, you know, we're obviously never going to see eye to eye, but that's okay because you don't contradict contradict yourself. But for the person who, uh, obviously, for the person who is you know pointing their finger at me, but they eat a steak or they eat a burger, mm. obviously they just don't understand. Yeah, you know, I don't think it's like that. They're disconnected from where their food's coming from. Yeah. So what do you say to them? Because for me, like I don't even I don't even bother with the ultra vegans. I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. good for you, man. Mm -hmm. uh, I have no problem with you. Uh, mm -hmm. But but what do you say to those who really just don't understand? Uh, and like you said, have that disconnect. Well, I think it's it's measured rhetoric again, um, because you could get very you could get really nasty very quickly. Um, you know, the, the, the rhetoric typically is, well, y you seem to be okay, perfectly okay with someone else killing your, killing your food for you. And you have a problem with me killing the food for myself, but rather, I think what you need to, to get at is, you know, you eat meat. Yes, I eat meat. Do you know where your meat comes from? Do you know what's in your meat? Do you know who processed your meat? Do you know how that animal lived? Do you know how that animal died? All these questions, because really questions allow somebody to think. Questions plant seeds in somebody's brain. And all those questions are why is, is reason why we hunt. You know, it's that, that, that meat is organic. We know that it's lived its best life. We know that we're being selective in, in the animal we're taking. We know that it, how it died. We know that we process the meat with our own hands. So there's all those elements that I think you can easily bring to the table. If that person says, I'm against you hunting, but yes, I eat meat, then you can say, well, okay, well, let's talk through a couple of these elements of the meat that you're eating so that I can understand, or maybe you can begin to almost digest this idea of why you are against something that I do, but you're completely okay with the same thing that you're doing. It just looks different. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, like I said, like I said earlier with that person, they view us as being like bloodthirsty, just out to kill anything and like 
no, you know, I mean, that's not, that's not what hunting is. That's not what I am. That's not what it's ever been about. You know, we don't celebrate murder. We don't, you know, I've seen that too. Like, Oh, how could you be joyful? You're celebrating murder. I'm like, no, I'm celebrating a year of food on my table. I'm mm-hmm. celebrating all of my hard work for the year coming to, to together and, and, and coming to an end. And, and I mean, so they view us as almost, I mean, you know better than I do because you have a lot more conversations with them, obviously, but sometimes we as hunters, we can't even fathom what they think of us as. Yeah. You really can't put a description on what they think we are. And and look, it, it, the crux of the argument, the crux of every argument of an, of a, someone that is against hunting an anti-hunter, a vegan. It all comes down to one thing, which is that they believe that the killing of an animal is abhorrent and they can't understand why you have to do that. That's it. That is, that's the, the be all and end all of the story. And as hunters there, you can't get around that. You, we kill. We do do that. We kill animals. But what we do have control over is the context and the narrative and the story that is portrayed around that that kill or that take. I like to use the word take. Because, as you said, they see a smiling face of someone behind a dead animal and without any context, they're like, oh, wow, look at that individual. They're smiling because they killed that animal. Is that true? Is that what we do? We smile because we killed the animal? Um, yes. yes. Yes and no. Think about it. I want you to think about your answer. So you say, yes, we are, we are smiling because we killed the animal. The act of killing is what, is what we're smiling about. I would still say yes and no, though, uh, because I, I don't know about you, but there is always that moment, um, for me at least, there is always that moment where I'm taken back. Um, and, and I, you know, I don't sit there and mourn the death of that animal, but I do sit there and, and a, a moment of, a moment of solitude yeah. comes over me and it's, it's a moment of honor and respect for that animal. And it's, Absolutely. you know, again, we don't blow trumpets and have a funeral, but, but it is just that moment of this deer that I've had a relationship with for, you know, hunting here in the Midwest, we can follow deer for, you know, five, six years, this deer that I've had this relationship with, I've watched it grow. I've watched it become what it is. It's, it's dead. It's no longer in existence. It no longer has breath in its lungs. It's no longer walking the, the earth, but then it is a joyful moment of, but I know where it's going to go to. It's not going to go to, you know, coyotes and, and whatever. It's going to go to feeding my kids. It's going to go to feeding my, my family. It's going to go to, to, I donate a lot of meat to, to the food bank. It's going to go to the food bank and feeding the, the hungry in our community. And then, and then, yeah, it is the, the joy of meat. It is the joy of a trophy. It is the joy of hard work. It is the, the relief of hard work, but, but there always is that moment of honor and respect. And, and so, so yeah, I would say yes and no, but, but I certainly do smile a lot when I, when I harvest an animal. No, look, I, and the reason I'm purposely poking. Okay. And, what I'm getting at here is, is something that is nuanced. When I say I'm putting myself in the, in the shoes of a non-hunter, when they see a picture of someone smiling, they believe that that person is happy because they killed that animal. I, I don't believe that's actually true. I don't believe that the act of killing, the act of pulling the trigger, the act of releasing the arrow, I think for the most part, if, if you had to do some soul searching, is a little anticlimactic. As, as you said, it's a little sad. as a, a solemnness to it. But the smile, in fact, is not celebrating. And here's where the context is important. The smile is not celebrating the kill of that animal. The smile is, is representing the culmination of planning, of adventure, of, you know, a hunt, 
it's the beginning of knowing that, as you said, you've got food on the table for the next year or so, or the people that you're about to, you know, have fellowship with, um, the people you can tell the story of the hunt around. Um, that's what the smile's about. And so we just don't ever really talk about the smile in that in that trophy shot in that manner, which I believe is has, has you know has hurt hunting for sure. Um, so that's that was the reason for my question to you. No, I I like prodding questions. I like forcing myself to think about those things um, because then those conversations with people become easier. Um, before I move on, I do want to give a quick thank you to our friends over at Koa Optics. Um, they make some of the finest glass on planet Earth. Um, the best spotting scopes by far. Uh, I have fallen in love with their spotting scopes. I have fallen in love with their binoculars. Um, they are a Japanese-made company. Um, I absolutely... Their their glass is just fantastic. So go check out Koa Optics. Um, Robbie. Share with me before we go, um, one of your most memorable hunts to date. Ooh, memorable hunts to date. It, it would absolutely hands down have to be Australian Northern Territory, Australian Northern Territory hunting uh, Asiatic water buffalo. And I did it very purposely in a way that represented what my forefathers or my grandfather used to do when he hunted buffalo. So uh, he used big caliber guns. So it was a, I used a 416 Rigby open sights. So essentially I have to get into bow range um, to be as lethal as I possibly can. What I loved about the hunt was the fact that obviously we're chasing a big dangerous game animal, a water buffalo, cantankerous. And if I don't do my job, in killing him, he has just as good a chance of killing me. And that was uh, an adrenaline rush that I'd, I'd never experienced. And um, we went into the back country of, of, of the Northern Territory of Australia. We went on a piece of property that the, the guides and outfitters that I was working with felt they had never stepped foot. They don't believe another white man had stepped foot. We explored some virgin country. We found Aboriginal paintings that I, again, I do not believe a white man has put uh, his eyes on before. We got to see them because they were really way back, tucked in a cave, tucked up on an escarpment that we went and explored. It was just an exceptional adventure. You know, we we hammocked under next to the river that was full of crocodiles. We swam in the river that was cro full of crocodiles. We got pissed on by bats at night. We ate buffalo backstraps at, uh, for dinner. It was an exceptional, exceptional adventure. So that is hands down the best hunt I've ever been on. Certainly sounds like it, man. <laughs> that, that sounds like one of those that, that may never be beaten as well. Oh, no, it's going to get beaten. It's going to get beaten. We're going to do something <laughs> just as crazy. You've already got... You've already got plans for something, don't you? Oh, there's lots, man. I, I just have this. I, I guess I've got a kick for buffalo, man. I want to go. I want to do most of the buffalo species. That would include a bison. That would include a muskox. That would include, you know, European bison. And then there's three or four buffalo species in Africa that I'd like to go after. So that's cool, man. Very cool. Um, so before we go, I do want to ask you one more question, and that is, uh, you know, Fred Bear, Papa Bear, uh, was big on field notes. Uh, do you keep a journal in the field? I do not. I am not one of those guys. Um, I just don't hunt enough. I just don't hunt enough to keep a field journal. If I was yeah. in the field hunting, you know, 50-plus days a year, 70-plus days a year, I think I would do it. Because I think it'd be pretty cool to keep up right. with all the different hunts that you've been on and the different weather conditions and whether you saw animals or not and how you could start making patterns by the notes that uh, that you take. Right. No, I don't as well either. Um, mainly because 
technology has destroyed that, um, you know, because now we got trail cameras that that documented all for us by day and and moon phases and weather conditions and um, so so I don't either. But but Papa Bear was big on field notes. Um, so share with me a field note that you've uh, taken over the year, just a note you've jotted down, a a tip you've got for me, something I can I can take and make myself a better hunter with. Um, you know that way when when I'm out uh, on a hunt and, and uh, just just struggling to get by, I can just say, hey, I remember Robbie told me this. Maybe I need to try that. <laughs> um, you know what's the what's one simple quick tip you got for us, man? Well, you're asking the wrong guy. I'm actually a very, very nascent hunter. I'm not an experienced hunter at all. But why? Well, I, I promise you, you've learned some lessons over the years, though. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, one of the best because I'm and I'm a cold-blooded creature, so I, I need I'm not I don't do very well in the cold. The best thing you can do if the if the temperatures are even, you know, if you think they're going to be cold is just pack yourself some of those freaking hand warmers, man. Those hand warmers, you can't go wrong. Even pack double, like four or, or six of them. They're there so you go. Cheap yeah. If you could just put four or six of them, break them open, your hands are going to be warm. They'll warm up your body, and it'll make the experience that much more pleasurable. Absolutely. No, I keep them uh, – I keep – uh, I keep them in in my in the glove box of my wife's car, in the glove box of my truck, in my pack. Uh, you know, if we ever you know get uh, in car trouble and a car breaks down and it's cold and snowy, um, those those kind of things will will help. Um, so I keep those in my car and I keep them in my pack. You know, for more of like an emergency type thing. And absolutely, man, I use them all the time. Uh, I keep them in my like my kangaroo pouch that I put my hands in to keep my hands warm. And so, <laughs> absolutely, it's a great tip, man. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> a great tip. Uh, uh, the the best tip I've ever gotten, and I think I edited it out, so it wasn't even in the show. But uh, the best tip I've ever gotten was uh, this old this old guy just said, "Don't cook bacon in the nude." And I'm like, well, "There you wow. go. There we have it." <laughs> I agree with him. I don't know how that helps me be a better hunter, but but uh, <laughs> that's too funny. Robbie, thank you so much for coming on, man. I uh, it's it's been a a true pleasure. Um, is is the name on Instagram and Facebook both Blood Origins? Is that where they find you at? Yeah, just type in Blood Origins into anything, right? Even our podcast now is Blood Origins. So Blood Origins on Twitter, Blood Origins on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all the podcasting platforms. That's it, Blood Origins, baby anywhere and everywhere you need to follow blood origins um if you if you have not already they are a must follow on my on my on my list of must follows um they are on it and so go check out blood origins guys thank you for listening you guys have a fantastic week 